I mean, people are losing their jobs, losing their 401k programs, losing their money, losing their homes, losing their, you know, whatever. And yet I believe in my heart, this is one man's opinion, I believe in my heart in the midst of all this turmoil that there's a place of preservation for us if we'll just get back to a certain focus of faith. Now, I realize there are wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and, uh, you know, nuclear power plants melting down all around us. But then there's our own little world, our own culture, and the issues that we're all believing God for in our own little lives, in your life and in my life. But there is one thing that I know for sure right now is that we do not have any more the luxury of being lazy with our faith. And what I mean by that. What I mean by that is this, that there was a season and there are seasons when you can kind of relax your faith in God and start putting it in some of the established institutions of this earth arena. Isn't that true? I mean, no longer can you put your trust and faith in the institutions that have sort of been stable over the years. For instance, the banking system. For instance, the federal government. For instance, the state government. They have their own problems. They can't get a budget together. The global economic crisis. You turn on the news, it's just one thing after... It's just mayhem out there. And so really, in order for us to stay in that position of preservation through the blood of Jesus, requires a refocus, I believe, of our faith in times like this. I believe that God can, in no matter what season you're in in your life, no matter what obstacles you face, no matter what the uh, uh, arena looks like on the outside when you turn on the news, I believe God has that place of preservation. I believe that Psalms 91 is true, that when the psalmist said, a thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come near me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Gandhi was the prime minister of India back in the time that British had control over India. And he said this. He said, I've studied the life of Jesus Christ and I found him to be a most amazing man. And I would have become a Christian had I not met one. Could it have been, and I don't know, but could it have been that he came around some Christians where there wasn't a lot of faith being exercised. There wasn't a lot of difference in their life based on all the things that were happening around them. Maybe it was that he just didn't see the miraculous power of God flowing through them and in them. Let it never be said about us. See, people are watching our faith right now with the... um, Confluence of crisis that are just just everywhere, ever present. People are watching to see if the power of God is going to be resonant inside those that claim to be believers. So it's no longer the time when we can get away with some intellectual knowledge of God. Some, you know, we, you know, maybe read the Bible occasionally and we've memorized a few verses. That's just not going to be enough. We have to be people of faith. We have to refocus our faith on God. Jesus said in Mark 11, have faith in God. 
Paul put it this way. He said this in 2 Timothy. He said, I know in whom I believe. I know in whom I believed. He wasn't putting his faith on the institutions of the time. He was putting his faith on God. I know in whom I believe and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. That's faith talking. Because we need to understand that we have committed our eternal salvation to the Lord Jesus Christ. And most Christians have no problem with that. And have great peace about that. But we need to commit a few other things to him. Our financial sustenance. Our physical sustenance. Amongst other things. Because people are watching. And God desires for us to be preserved. I want to talk to you tonight about making it through when others don't. Making it through when others don't. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. As my spiritual father would say, that great faith chapter. Cindy, could you bring my Bible up to me? I know some of these verses. I've meditated on them, but I do need my my Bible. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God would preserve you in these troubled times? I believe it too. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, God gives us In verse 1, he begins to give us a working definition of faith, right? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony or a good report. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things that are visible. And so he, he gives us this definition, but then he goes on Example after example after example of people in real life who exercised faith in God in the midst of all kinds of crazy situations around them. We're not the only ones that have faced a crazy world system. Satan has been at it for years, millennia. And so he goes on to give us all these examples of people who had faith in God. And because that faith uh, was so supernatural, miracles were popping up in their life. Noteworthy. And how many of you know that nothing has changed throughout the centuries regarding faith? Faith will still work in the settings of your life right now, just like they... Worked in biblical times just like they worked when David faced Goliath. Things have not changed because faith has not changed. And God has not changed. The object of our faith. He is immutable. He does not change. It's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. So let's look at Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things Not seen. And then it goes on and on and on. By faith, Abel did what he did by faith. By faith, Noah did what he did. 
By faith, Abraham did what he did. By faith, Sarah did what she did. By faith, Isaac did what he did. You can read it for yourself, but for time's sake, I just want you to know that these are heroes of faith. They did noteworthy things. By faith, Jacob did what he did. By faith, Joseph. My goodness, there's a person that survived a lot of various circumstances that weren't perfect. But he did what he did by faith, and he overcame. By faith, Moses did what he did. So far, that's pretty impressive. That's a pretty impressive group of people, wouldn't you say? Biblically speaking, they're the heroes of faith. By faith, they did some incredible things. But I want you to look at verse 30 with me. We're talking about making it through when others don't. We're talking about refocusing our faith back to where it should be. Not on principles, not just on teaching, but on God who will perform his word in your life. In verse 30, it says, By faith, notice, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Many of you know the story. We're going to go through that in a minute. But notice verse 31. And here's what I want to talk about. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. We're talking about making it through when others don't. Making it through when others don't. What does it mean here? By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received them spies with peace. It meant that here, right in the middle of all these heroes of faith, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the patriarchal fathers, here we have Rahab. Rahab who? Rahab a great prayer? Rahab the prophetess? No, Rahab, a harlot. She's a prostitute. The Bible tells it just like it is. It's the truth. It didn't have to say that she was a harlot, but she was. And God wanted us to to show us some things for us today. And so the faith of Rahab, the harlot. Now the Bible tells us that Rahab, she was a harlot. She was a prostitute. Let me tell you something real significant here. Here we have, right in the middle of the heroes of faith, someone who wasn't living a real holy life. Yet the Bible says right here in Hebrews 11, right in the middle of her crisis, right in the middle of all the confusion that was going around Jericho at that particular time, we have a harlot, Rahab, who had faith in God. Glory to God. And so, here we are. Rahab. Now, Rahab was somebody that wasn't living for God, yet because of her audacity of faith to believe Him, was someone that ultimately made it through when a lot of people didn't. You see, everybody that she knew in that city in Jericho was going to die in a few days. Everybody she knew. 
except for her immediate family. They were going to die the, the day that those walls fell. Only Rahab and her family were saved. And in Hebrews 11.31, um, we see right here why she was spared that day. It's because Rahab, the, the harlot Rahab, the prostitute, had faith in God. And because of that, she did not perish. She did not perish. How do we know she had faith? I know that Hebrews 11 says that by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who did not believe. But how do we know? How do we know for sure? Well, first of all, she received the spies with peace. When the Hebrews came in, they sent spies to check out the territory. And that was the act of her faith and gives evidence to us that she truly was trusting God by receiving those Israelites to come in. Now, Joshua chapter 2, we see this. Now, faith without works is dead, right? We need to see those corresponding actions in order to see, you know, if we really mean it or not. Now, turn with me to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went out, and they came to the house of the harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Someone said, well, why did they go to the house of prostitution? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was because they, did, they wanted to be inconspicuous. Their big deal was not to be seen by anybody. And I guess a lot of pastors through would go through there. But there they are, and it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. Now, was this dangerous for Rahab to do? This act of faith, receiving the spies, was this a dangerous thing? Yes. Did it show incredible faith to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That risk was a big risk. They would have wiped out her entire family if the king found out. Am I right? You don't take a risk like that unless you truly believe something good is going to happen here. Now, verse 3. So the king Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring me out men who have come to you, who have entered into your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Now, notice her response. Then the woman took the two men, hid them, and so she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Well, that's a lie. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. Well, that's another lie. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had put in order on the roof. Then all the men pursued them by the road to Jordan to the fords. And as soon as they, uh, those who had pursued them had gone, they had shut the gate. Now someone said, well, is it okay to lie and still have faith? Well, is it okay to be a prostitute? 
You see, we have Rahab here who did not go to Sunday school all her life. We have someone here that didn't, you know, grow up in the, in the household of faith. She grew up in a heathen city, Jericho, where they worshipped idols. We have someone that has no understanding of the things of God. Yet the Bible says she still had faith. And many of those women at that time that were in Jericho were, were brought in from other territories. It was very common for the armies of these heathen nations to go out and take other territories and bring the women and children in as slaves. And many of those women were brought in as prostitutes. Not, not based on whether or not they wanted to do it. They had no choice in, in what they were doing. So we don't know for sure how Rahab came into this lifestyle. But whether it's Rahab or anybody else that you see today that looks like they have sin all over them, you don't know their heart. Only God knows their heart. And that's where faith comes. With, with the heart, man believes. With the heart, man believes, Romans says. You don't know their heart. I don't know their heart. But God does. You don't know how they arrived at the place they're at. For all we know, Rahab you know, could have despised being a prostitute for all those years. But she simply had no choice. But God sees the heart. But there was something about Rahab right in the middle of that unholy environment, you know, of sin, oppression, the desperation she must have been feeling. Right in the middle of that, Rahab has faith in God. Glory to God. Notice in verse 8. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them to the roof. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She knew it. That the terror of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Now notice verse 10 here. For we have heard. Say, we have heard. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what he did for you, the two kings, what he did through you, through the two kings, the, Am- the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Notice it said, we heard, she heard. Faith comes by hearing. She heard about Jehovah, God. And how God did some wonderful things, some noteworthy things. So listen to, de- listen to her declaration of faith here in verse 11. And as soon as we heard, again, we heard, we heard, we heard. As soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither, neither did there remain any of those who had courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, notice this declaration, for the Lord your God, He is God of heaven above and on the earth. He is God. That's her declaration of faith. Who are we talking about here? Rahab. Someone who tells lies and works in the house of prostitution. 
your God. He is God of heaven above and on earth beneath. For the Lord your God. Rahab decided he's the real God. There are all these idols in here. Everybody's worshiping a different God. But your God, El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, the God that is more than enough, all-sufficient God, he's the real God. He's the God. And Rahab said, I don't know. I've never been to Sunday school. But when I heard about your God, something rose up in my heart, something, and I knew, I knew he was the real one. So Rahab believed in God. Now, remember when I said that Paul, Paul was convinced of whom he believed. I know in whom I believe. And I'm persuaded. He's persuaded about what? He's persuaded about some things about the one he believes, God. And I'm persuaded that he is able to commit or he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. There's another scripture. And we'll talk about it in a minute. It's in Hebrews 11. We didn't read it. We kind of skipped over it. But it says this, because we need to know what we believe about him in the midst of crisis all around us. Because here we have her declaration of faith, right? She believes he is God. Now in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, notice with me, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is not an option. If you want to make it through when others don't. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. How many want to please God? He that cometh to God must believe that he is. In other words, point number one, in terms of the nuance of what you believe about God, is you you need to believe that he is. That he is Adonai. That he is Jehovah God, the Lord who reveals himself. That he is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient, almighty God. The God that is more than enough. You need to believe that he is. And Rahab completed that. She declared, he is God. In heaven and beneath the earth. So she made that claim. But notice in verse 12 now, that fulfills the first part of Hebrews 11. He that comes to God must believe that he is, but there's part two to that, and we'll get to that in a minute. Notice she says, Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you shall show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. In other words, show me some mercy. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that I have. Say all that I have. And deliver our lives from death. Not only did she believe that he was God. But she dared to believe in his character. That he was a good God. Because in Hebrews 11 it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must what? Believe that he is, that he's there, he's all powerful, he exists. But notice it says, And that... He is a rewarder 
of those who diligently seek him or those who place their faith in him or those who cry out to him, trusting him to deliver. So it's not enough to just know that he is and that God exists because a lot of Christians know that he exists. But a lot of Christians think this about God. They think he's just some stoic up in the universe somewhere who's benignly and passively sitting back. He spun the world on its axis and now he's just sitting back watching everything play out with very little interest, very little concern. It's like a reality show, survival of the fittest. And that's not who God is. God wants to be active in our lives. He wants to produce power in our life. He wants to miraculously deliver us and take us through even when others that don't believe fall apart and perish. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. Say he's a rewarder. He is a rewarder. Rahab believed that Jehovah God was so good that he was so merciful that he would grant this favor to her anyway. She fulfilled part two of Hebrews 11. She made the declaration, he is God. And she knew in whom she believed that he he had to be a good God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Rahab believed simply, simply that God was a good God. Listen, many people, many people would have never, ever asked those spies for that kind of favor. They could have never believed that God would be that good, that he would do that just for them let alone Rahab. What if Rahab started talking to this about her, uh, about this event with her friends? And she goes up to them and says, you know, I'm going to ask the Hebrew God. I believe he's God. I'm going to ask him to save me, my family, and all my stuff when everybody in this city is going to perish. They would have said, you? A prostitute? I mean, you've been living this unholy life for so long. There are just too many others that would qualify that live a lot more morally than you do. Everything that was in Rahab and around her spoke into her life that she was disqualified for this kind of favor. Everything. How many more important people were there in those fortified walls of Jericho. I mean, there were, you know, it was a huge city. I've been there. Well, it's no longer there. It's rubble. <laughs> Little sidebar. My wife and I rode a demon-possessed camel there. It was under Palestinian control. It was very difficult to maneuver around, but they did have the camels and stuff. So we got on the demon-possessed camel for a while. There were, it spit on me. That's what I remember about Jericho. Let me tell you something. 
were thousands of people that lived in that city that were more qualified than Rahab the harlot. There were dignitaries, there were political figures, there were rulers, there were leaders. All kinds of people who could claim easily that they lived a lot more cleaner than she did. And the devil today, through condemnation, he comes to rob people of their faith by the millions through those kinds of lies. There are people, friends, you don't know their heart, but they're crying out in their heart to God. They don't look like it on the outside. But there are people who get a glimpse of God's goodness that he is a good God, that potentially he could be a rewarder if I put my faith in him. They get a glimpse of that kind of favor towards them and the devil comes to remind them how unqualified they are, how messed up they are. And how many people, if they were in Rahab's shoe, would just listen to those lies and say, well, you're right. How could I ever ask? the true and living God, for that kind of favor. To spare me. There's so many other people that are better than me that live in this, this city that are more qualified for his mercy. I guess I won't even ask God. See, that's how people respond to those lies. I'm not good enough for God's help. Why should I believe that could happen to me? But Rahab knows everyone in that city is going to die. She has inside info. And yet she has the audacity to think that her and her family and all of her things are going to survive the day. When everyone else, everyone she grew up with, everyone, their dogs, their cats, all that they have, everything was going to perish. Listen, could she have come up with some reasons why she didn't qualify? Friends, again, this is what the psalmist David meant. When you're in a situation, a confluence of crisis, all kinds of crazy stuff going on in your world and trying to rock your culture. The psalmist David says in Psalms 91, a thousand may fall at my side. Ten thousand at my right hand. But it shall not come near me. Do you see the audacity Of having that kind of trust and faith. And not only acknowledging that he is God, but he is a good God. And he's a rewarder. I don't care what problems you bring with you. It's all under the blood. See, if Rahab thought it was just going to work based on her righteousness, there is no way possible she would have asked those spies that she would have believed that God would be good enough to grant that favor to her. How could she? How could any one of us stand in God's presence and claim, just based on our righteousness, God, um, I feel like I'm qualified for your great favor in my life. When everyone else is perishing... The Bible says this, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. The Bible says 
He who knew no sin was made sin for us. Jesus was made to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not going to ever be based on your good works. It's never going to be based on how great you perform. It's never going to be based on any kind of outward uh, qualification. It's all going to be based on your faith in what Jesus has already done. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of faith in God. Glory to God. Now, I'm not condoning her life of sin. And the Bible's not condoning her life of sin. But where where sin abounds, I know for sure, this is what Scripture, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Do you believe that? Do you believe God will do some things for you no matter who's perishing around you? Do you believe, do you have the audacity to believe in the goodness of God? In spite of your shortcomings, in spite of your sin, in spite of your ignorance, we all bring that. But you have to dare to believe like Rahab. She not only believed he was God, but she believed that he is a rewarder. And he, she believed that he was predisposed to give her favor just simply because she had a believing heart. Nothing else. Hey, you, you wouldn't have to go up to Rahab and talk to her about her sin. She already knew her life was a mess. But she had, listen to this, she had more faith in God's goodness than she did in her own sinfulness. And that's exactly what it takes for us to make it through when others don't. Because there's going to be a lot of people who will not believe God. And they will automatically disqualify themselves. And many will perish. But not you. And not me. Because we have faith in God. We know in whom we believe. And we are persuaded. About what? Some things about the one we believe. We are persuaded. Here's one thing that we believe about the one that we believe. (laughs) We are persuaded that he is... He is able to keep that which we committed to Him until that day. Faith is a commitment. You're committing something to Him. Not just your eternal welfare. That's true. But other things. She was committing to a good God. Her livelihood and her her immediate family and all the things that she owned when everyone else was going to to perish that day. She believed he was so good that he would do that for her anyway. Will the devil give you a thousand reasons why you don't qualify for God's goodness? And you're watching thousands of people around you just, you know, losing their houses, losing their homes, losing their jobs, losing their money, money they perhaps saved up for for the last 30 years. They lost it all, their retirement. 
banks are failing, this is failing, that's failing. The devil will give you a thousand reasons in the midst of all those things going on why you don't qualify. Well, you don't know enough scripture. Well, you, you haven't been faithful to come to church enough. Um, you haven't lived right. You haven't obeyed enough. Uh, you've made mistakes. You've made bad decisions. He'll give you so many reasons why not to believe in the middle of your little crisis. You don't qualify. You don't qualify. And if you side in with that, you won't dare to believe like Rahab believed. You'll just acquiesce and you'll start accepting some things that you shouldn't be accepting in your life. See, your faith is, is what you use to resist the works of the enemy. To resist the power of the world system pressing in on your world. Your faith. To resist it. Not to allow it to overtake you. But when you feel disqualified and you don't feel worthy, what happens? You believe that God is, he's all powerful. And perhaps you still believe that, you know, you've committed your eternal salvation to him and he's able to keep that which you've committed to him. But all these other things, you're not worthy enough. The devil's a liar. He is the liar. He's a known liar. God does not care if your name is Rahab, the harlot. Smith Wigglesworth, did I say that right? Smith Wigglesworth. I sound like I'm drunk or something. Smith Wigglesworth. Look it up in your concordance there. What's the Greek for Wigglesworth? (laughs) Smith Wigglesworth, the man of God. He said this. He said, there's something about believing God. There's something about believing God that will cause him to pass over a million people just to get to you. Key word, believing God. See, Rahab didn't perish with those who what? Did not believe. They could have believed just like Rahab. But faith is a choice. And they chose not to believe. Everybody in that city perished. Except for her. Now verse 14, look with me real quickly. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us this land, not if he's given us this land, when he gives us this land, right? That we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. That was the wall that fell down when they circled around it and shouted that seventh time. Notice verse 19. So it shall be that 
Whoever goes outside the doors of your house, he's talking about Rahab's house, into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, um, if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from our oath, which we have made, that you have made us swear. Notice verse 21. Then she said, Rahab. Rahab who? The harlot. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. That's a statement of faith. Amen. When you say amen to something, that means so be it, right? In other words, be it unto me, according to your word. Be it unto me. So in other words, it's not just words that are out there, you know, just floating around. Be, the, be that unto me. It's wrapping your arms around that statement. Be it unto me, according to your word. Now, doesn't that sound like someone else's declaration of faith in the New Testament? Doesn't that sound like how Mary, for instance, responded when the angel Gabriel told her about that conception that was going to take place? That Emmanuel, God with us, is going to to come into the world through her. In Luke 138, Mary said this, Be it unto me according to your word. Surely you're not comparing Rahab the harlot to Mary. Listen, let me tell you something. Faith is faith. Let me say something. God is no respecter of people. He's looking for all his people to say that. Be it unto me, according to your word. You're a good God. I believe in your goodness. I believe you want to reward me. Be it unto me. Be it unto me. That's all God wants. You don't have to say anything else. And then you take the ownness of that statement. Be it unto me. God is no respecter of persons. No respecter. Rahab the harlot and everyone else in between, up to Mary. Anyone who comes to him with a believing heart, he listens to them. And not only does he listen to them, he rewards them. Verse 20 through 23. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. Notice, are you with me? Do you have your Bibles? Verse 20. They circled around that city seven times. The priests were out there. The, the, you know, the musicians were out there. They all shouted. God gave them instructions on what to do. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpeter. and You know, the shofar, Pastor Mark. The, the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, just like God said it would. Then the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him. And they took the city. What does he mean they took the city? Notice verse 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Notice, 
Go into the harlot's house. God will not forget you in the middle of all hell breaking loose around you. God did not forget the harlot, Raham. Go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, all of her stuff, all of her stuff. As you swore to her. And so they did that. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, delivered them. Her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all of her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. They not only delivered them, but they took care of them. They brought them into their camp. Verse 24. But they, notice, but they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And notice verse 25. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. And all that she had. Friends, there are people perishing around us all over the place. Again, people, they're losing their jobs. I don't know. The state of California leads the unemployment uh, in the unemployment arena. You know, I mean, everybody I know is worried, concerned about their job. People are losing their houses. They're losing their savings. They're losing this. They're losing that. They're perishing in various areas of their lives. They're perishing all around us. What would have been the outcome if Rahab had not trusted God in His goodness, in His mercy? She would have died along with everybody else in that city. Everyone. And people are perishing. I mean, think about it. All over the place. So the big question is this. Why should you live if there are people all around you that don't make it? Why should I live when there are people all around me that aren't making it? Why should I get to keep all my stuff? Why should I get delivered? What makes you better or more deserving than all those that are perishing around you? Listen, Rahab wasn't any better than anyone in that city. She wasn't any better intellectually. She wasn't any better physically. She wasn't any better in morally in any way, shape, or form. Was she any better than anyone else who perished that day? Why did she get to live and have all of her stuff saved the day that everybody else died. She knew in whom she believed. She had faith in God. She had faith in God. Can one person's faith... We're closing now. Just hold on. Can one person's faith not only affect their entire family in the area of deliverance, out of crisis... But millions and millions and millions of others. The answer, yes, it can. And I'll tell you why. Real quickly, we're closing. 
in uh, verse 25 of Joshua, it says this, And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy Jericho. She lives in Israel to this day. Now, in my study Bible, there's a little lowercase a next to that verse. She lives or dwells in Israel to this day. It brings me to my marginal reference. And in my marginal reference, it tells me to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Does yours say the same thing? Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Can your victory, can your deliverance, can your simple act of faith in God when everyone else is falling around you, when, he, when you just dare to believe Him and not disqualify yourself because He's a good God, you believe in His goodness, can that affect not only you and your family? I'm telling you what, in this case, it affected millions to come. Because right there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, you've got your Bibles open, right? Right there in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want, you to, I want you to look right through that. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Judah begot Perez. Zerah by Timur. Perez begot Haran. Haran begot Ram. Ram begot... I've got to get better glasses than this. Aminabab, Aminabab begot Nation, Nation begot uh, Solomon, Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Who? A prostitute who tells lies and works in the house of prostitution. It's spelled differently but because the New Testament is translated in Greek, but it's the same. Notice. By Rahab, Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed, by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. King David. Could it be his great, great, great grandmother? Rahab, the harlot. And then you follow that through to Jesus. That's for eternity. Your victory will always be someone else's victory. So when you open up your heart to trust in His goodness right now, it will always overflow into someone else's life. God has other people in mind. Praise God. Do you believe that? You receive that? We're done. Pastor Mark, thank you very much. We're done.